0: My good people, how's it going? How are we feeling? Everybody doing well? Everybody trying to get their week off to a good start? I know it's a Monday, getting out of bed, starting off another week, but guess what? It feels great to be alive. You're breathing. Be grateful. Be thankful. And not only that, I thank you for tuning in to listen to me to deliver everything that's going on in the world of diamond, the world of ice, the world of gridiron, the world of hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. Anything that's going on in the world of sports. You've come to the right place here in the J Reels Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in and wondering who is this guy, what does he have to say that the millions of other people on other podcasts, TV, radio have to offer? Well, first off, I'm here to not only entertain, but also to engage, to inform, but most importantly, deliver credible sports talk among the masses and tell you what's on my mind, not only from a New York perspective, but obviously from a national landscape. And if this is more than your first time, welcome back. I appreciate you tuning in and dialing down on your phones or computers, tablets, wherever you may get this podcast from, as I am uh, completely grateful and thankful for you to take the time out of your busy day to listen to what I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. And here we are on a Monday, October the 8th in the year of our Lord 2018. We have lots to touch on. I'll try to keep it in a tidy hour. That's right. I know I could ramble and go off the rails here, but that's what happens when you try to deliver the passionate sports talk that I bring each and every week. So here's what we have on the docket. We'll talk a little NHL. That's right, NHL season has kicked off. There's a couple of things that I need to bring up just to get off my chest in reference to stuff that's happened on the ice, but in reference that's taking place off the ice with suspensions and uh, just code on the ice, things of that nature. We'll get into that later in the program. All the NFL, the Giants with just a killer loss and the – which being upstaged by the Odell Beckham Jr. comments that he had mentioned on NFL Sunday Countdown. We'll get into all that. The Jets on the Victoria side with a big win against the Broncos. Everything that's happened in week five of the NFL. But we're going to kick off with the baseball as we're in full swing with the division series in both the National League and the American League. And we must start with what's happening in the Bronx or what will happen in the Bronx. Tonight, game three, first two games are in the books where both teams have split. The first two games, and let's face it, the Yankees, although had plenty of opportunities at game one, I'm not gonna sit here and say that they should be up 2-0, but having the Red Sox on the ropes the way they were Friday night, all those opportunities that were missed as far as trying to cash in on more runs, and we could go through all the scenarios, but down five nothing early, the JD Martinez home run, three nothing to get it started. Then by the end of three, five nothing you're thinking, oh gee, it's gonna be a long night. Chris Sale, all the question marks about him coming into this series, about whether or not he's going to be 100% healthy or even close to it, considering he's only had a handful of starts since July the 27th. And all the questions were certainly answered in that regard. Pitch five and a third, didn't really go deep, handed the keys over to the bullpen, and boy, it was like a tightrope on dental floss, watching that Red Sox bullpen just about give it up to the Yankees as they chipped away, they were able to... Cut it to 5-4, including the Judge Homer in the ninth, but certainly not enough as the Red Sox prevailed in game one. And in game two, David Price has a new name in my book, especially when he faced the Yankees. And we could talk about, oh, uh, the kryptonite, and yeah, we could get that. But to me, whenever he pitches against the Yankees, he is now Vincent Price because it is a horror show for Red Sox fans to watch this guy go in. We know about the money. We know about the contract. We know about his postseason doldrums. But they continue – Here as the Yankees just got to him early with three runs. He was only in there for an inning and two-thirds. Gary Sanchez, who owns him. I mean, not even owns him. How about in bold font, underlined about 40,000 times, with flashing neon, green, yellow, whatever color you want to put in there. He literally owns this man. I'm sure the last person, he, he must have nightmares thinking about Gary Sanchez in the offseason, during the season, in the middle of the night, whatever it may be, because it is a foregone conclusion that anytime Gary Sanchez steps in the batter's box against David Price, it's either going to go well over the fence or it's going to go close to the fence, and the numbers are just staggering. You fire off that first salvo, judges the home run in the first, and then Sanchez with the two-run home run to make a 3-0, you think to yourself, oh, forget about it. With this Red Sox bullpen, The way they performed the night before, there was no way, shape, or form that they're going to get out of this game with a victory. And sure enough, they didn't. Later on, Sanchez put the icing on the cake with a bomb to dead center. And now it's 1-1. Yankees win 6-2, of course. 1-1 with games 3 and 4 tonight and tomorrow at the stadium. And you know it's going to be raucous. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be wild. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But with the matchups here over the course of the next two days, tonight, you have... Luis Severino coming off of the wild card performance that he had against the A's where he pretty much had no hit ball going into the fifth inning. And, of course, the Yankees, we could go back to that game really after the judge home run in the first inning. To me, it was over. I mean, that's what I tweeted. I figured there's no way the A's are going to win this game considering they went bullpen by committee. And uh, sure enough, that's how it unfolded. So nothing really to report there as far as the Yankees winning that wild card game of Oakland was a surprise. Absolutely not. It was a game. The Yankees had to win despite the fact that the A's had a phenomenal season, 97 wins the, the whole nine. But when you start your postseason run with a relief pitcher that nobody's ever even heard of, especially this side of the Bay and I'm talking about the Bay area, you're just pretty much going to be doomed from the start stuff like that may work in the regular season. And at times could work in a postseason, but when you're, again, starting off your postseason with eight relievers, it's not going to work. And it certainly didn't work that night. So now as we fast forward to tonight where you have Luis Severino, as I mentioned, going up against former Yankee Nathan Evaldi. Tomorrow, Rick Porcello, who had a relief parents in game one. That's how bad it was for the Red Sox. He'll go up against CC Zabathia. And if you're the Yankees right now, you are salivating. You know that you have a chance to step on the neck of the Red Sox and with the fans behind you, and you know that that crowd's going to be rabid. In fact, it was reminiscent. That's right, I'm going to go there with this. Reminiscent of the old days of Yankee Stadium. And we all know the crowd last year was very good during their postseason run against the Twins in the wild card the Indians, and then the Astros, where they did not lose at home. And knowing that this fan base, not winning a title in a while, but again, you have your idiots, the the ones that feel entitled that the Yankees should be in the World Series every year, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. But against this hated Red Sox team, Red Sox have to jump on Severino early if they have any chance, and then somehow, some way, they're going to have to just piecemeal it the rest of the way to get one game because they need to get this series back to Boston if they have any chance because how I feel if they lose tonight and I understand CC has not been well down the stretch not including the game in Tampa where he got ejected in the second inning but you figure that CC with guts and guile and knowing that they don't want to make that trip for game five back to Boston they need to get out of New York with a victory one of these next two nights preferably tonight because at least tomorrow you could kind of Take a be- big deep breath and just make it to a game five and not have to pitch Chris Sale in game four. Because that's going to be the big thing. If the Yankees win tonight, whether it's 11-1 or one nothing, will Alex Cora go to Chris Sale? And I think he will. Three days rest. Who knows how much you're going to get out of him considering that he gave you five and a third and he pitched very well on Friday. Uh, yes, Friday night. But is that going to be enough? for this team, for this Red Sox team, even down 2-1, to have your ace go in in a game four and give you as much length as possible with the thoughts of that scary bullpen trying to bail you out and bring you back to Boston for game five. It is going to be, as I used to call it back in the day, the old Yankee Stadium, it is going to be a snake pit on 161st and River Avenue. And the reason why I say snake pit is because For those of you who are on social media or if you followed, I'm sure maybe not a lot of people know about it, the story. But last week, there was an Oakland A's fan out in the left field bleachers who got doused by beer. And let me tell you something. The guy was as good of a sport as you could possibly ever have. And I understand he was there with his girlfriend, a kid from Oakland who now lives in New York. It has to be out in early, mid-20s. And just getting doused by beer and pretty much abused in every way, shape, or form. And all I could think to myself is that, geez, you know, these Yankee fans under 30 who don't know anything about their team's history. And if that's the case, I'd love to just stand in front of them because if I could throw out the 1983 Pine Tar game, they would look at me as if I had 10 heads. But then guess what? I'd look back at them and look at them if they had 20 heads. Because these fans, or so-called fans, especially the ones under 30, that all they know about is the 96 Yankees and on, as if baseball never existed before then. Those are the ones I have a problem with. And I get it. The Yankee fans or the average fans going to say, well, Jay Reels, just pipe down. You know, why are you getting all revved up and crazy about them? Met fans are probably just as like, just like that or worse, or any other teams that you root for. And I get that. Every fan base, I don't care what team you root for, I don't care who it is, whether the team is an expansion team or they've been around for 500 years you're always going to have a group of fans that are going to act like idiots. And I get that. But when it's broadcast like that, and the fan is just standing there rooting for his team, but even gracious in the feet, even told the guy, hey, congratulations on you guys. You know, we stunk." blah, blah, blah. And this is after they poured beer on him. Now, later on, as crazy as this sounds, not to give it too much pub, but they actually made amends. They went out for beers afterwards. And that's a story that you rarely hear because usually that ends up in a fight. God forbid somebody's in a hospital, and as you've heard from stories in the past, whether it was that unfortunate incident in Dodger Stadium when a giant fan got pummeled to almost to death, which, I mean, please, people are there to see a baseball game. Nobody's there to get into fights. Nobody's there to get into arguments. Yeah, if you want to chant your air, eh, Oakland sucks, or go back to Oakland, whatever, that's all right, fine. Just don't make it personal. But of course, the young fan, or in this case, the Yankee fans, they make it personal by dousing beer doing all these crude things. It's just, please, we're there to watch a baseball game, people. So you know what? You could be crazy all you want tonight and tomorrow night, and that's fine. That's where you get that home field advantage. When you start acting like just buffoons, that's where I draw the line. And then that's where most Met fans and most fans who don't like the Yankees, that's where it all begins and ends with, the fans. Because when you see them acting like jerks and acting like they're spoiled, entitled champions like they feel like oh and of course these guys come out only in october it seems that's where i have a problem but all right let's put that aside all right let's get back to focus on the series here how i look at it i picked the yankees go to world series last week and a lot of people may look at it and say well jay reels how did you not look at the red Sox? 108 victories the big year that they had we all know that doesn't mean anything right now I felt as if the Yankees were just going to hit their stride. As I said in the podcast a couple weeks ago, that last week of the season where they went five and two. Granted, that Tampa was already out of it, and pretty much didn't play the way they've been playing you know weeks prior. And their final weekend against the Red Sox, they won two or three. And again, the Red Sox didn't have anything to play for, of course. But the Yankees had to play crisp ball. They had to get back in the swing of things. You know, Sanchez hit a couple home runs that week. Stanton got to 100 RBIs that final weekend in Boston. Now, Stanton had an awful game one. He struck out four times in big spots, of course, although he did have a hit and scored a run. But now you, when you look at the Yankees, they're taking off, and the one thing that you worried about with this Red Sox team really was two things. It was Chris Sale, which he answered the bell on that one, and then the bullpen. And the bullpen just scares you to death if you're a Red Sox fan. You would think that they would steal one of these two games by hook or by crook. I feel they need to get tonight's game. That's not to say they can't win tomorrow because if they pound on CC early and they hang on with the bullpen and if they do lose tonight, I would expect to see Chris Sale pitch tomorrow night. I mean, it goes without saying because this is for their season. But then you'll worry about Game 5 Wednesday then where chances are you're probably going to see David Price pitch at Game 5, which... Well, let's not even go there yet because... One game at a time. I think in order for the Red Sox to win, they got to get on either Severino early or CC early to win one of these next two games. And if you're a Red Sox fan, that's all you want. You can't think about, oh, well, hey, we could still win these next two games. No, you just need to win one of these next two. Doesn't matter how. Again, it could be the ugliest 9-8 game. You use all your relievers. As long as you win the game, That, as we said, style points do not matter in any sport. You just got to go in, get the victory, and you have run out of the building before a call or before something else happens where they have to bring you back onto the field and play another out or another inning or whatever it may be. But you get my drift. And if you're the Yankees, this is where you step on the next. This is where you look at a guy like Nathan Ovaldi, where he does throw hard. He hasn't been great since he's come from uh, Tampa in that trade right before the deadline. You know, nerves are going to be going through his body. This is going to be the first time he's going to get a big taste of postseason action, especially in a Game Three where it's, of course, not must win, but it's a. This is a huge game for the Red Sox because I feel if they go down to one, whew, tomorrow night they're going to go for the kill. The Yankees do not want to go to Boston to play Game Five. That's not to say if they do, they're just going to fold like a cheap suit. Absolutely not. But what do you think? You think if they win the night, no matter, like I said, 11-1-1-0, that they're going to look at that game tomorrow and say, uh-uh, this is it. We closed it out right here. And CC, despite the fact that he has not been good of late, but we know with CC. hey, if he can give you four innings of whatever it is, one, one, three, one run three-hit ball and hand it over to the bullpen. Now, the bullpen hasn't been lights out either. You know, it's not getting crazy. You know, the bullpen did its job, obviously, in game one after Jay Happ, who was gone after, what was it, two and a third innings, and the bullpen took over, and they did an excellent job. Give them props. And, of course, they did a great job as well there on Saturday night. We can't negate that. But at the same time, overall, they haven't been locked down as a lot of people thought they would be. You know, this hasn't been the dominant Yankee bullpen that a lot of people thought was going to be the 1A strength of the ball club next to the offense, which is number one, as far as strengths go. And if you're the Yankees, you just got to look at this situation and say to yourselves, hey, we know what it takes to win at home. They haven't lost in the postseason, dating back to last year, and they just try to seal the deal. What do I think is going to happen? I think you're going to see a game five in Boston. Somehow, someway, if the Red Sox have any gumption, have any fight, anything. And mind you, this is a team that, with all the victories and everything they've done this year, they just can't go out like a whimper. Now, we've seen it happen in the past. We've seen that dominant team, the first team that comes to mind is Seattle Mariners in 2001. Even to a certain extent, the Cleveland Indians, the way they rolled into the postseason last year, had a 2 nothing lead against the Yankees, and then... That's it. They were done and rolled off into the night after game five when the Yankees went in there and won the last three of that series and onto the ALCS against the Astros. But I would think the Red Sox will have just enough to win one of these next two games, take it to a game five in Boston, and if the Red Sox are smart, they would need to win the night because you would save Chris Sale for game five on Thursday night. And I hope Alex Cora doesn't get cute that even if the Red Sox win the night that he's going to put sail in a game four to try to close out this series. That would be the worst thing he could do. A lot of baseball to be played. It's going to be very fascinating to see how this is all going to shake down here over the course of the next 48 hours and if beyond whether or not this series does go to a game five Thursday night up in Fenway Park. As for the other series of concern, in the American League, Houston could wrap up the DS by winning in Cleveland today. One thirty is the start time. They've had great pitching. Garrett Cole had a phenomenal performance. Only Tom Seaver was the only pitcher to strike out 12 or more batters and not walk a batter. As they won 3-1 in game two. Verlander was the key, was no-hit ball into the sixth inning. But they hit a bunch of long balls. Corey Kluver has been awful, again, showing his uh, – postseason non-prowess it's weird after the 2016 year which he was just phenomenal last year he spit the bit against the Yankees in his two starts and here in game one gives up three long balls they lose 7-2 in the opener down in Houston and here they are just one game away from them being exited out and that would be something when you think about it you know here's Cleveland which I understand that they play in the AL Central it's a bad division to begin with and we talk about coasting you know teams that pretty much had nothing to play for Cleveland was one of those teams. Probably the first team in major leagues this year that had nothing to play for because everybody else in the division was just so awful. And now to think that if they lose today, they'll end up not only getting swept here, but they'll lose their last six postseason games dating back to the ALDS against the Yankees last year. And for Francona, for that to swallow would be very tough because we all know Francona, one of the best managers in the business. We all know about the two World Series rings From his days in the Red Sox. And he's been a fine manager for Cleveland so far. But certainly has not been able to get over the hump. Despite the fact two years ago they make it to a Game 7 of World Series. But this would certainly be a bitter ending. Considering what they've done here in 2017-2018. And really have absolutely zero to show for it. So we'll see how that uh, unfolds here today. 1.30 at the Old Jake. Now it's Progressive Field or whatever they call that stadium now. And then the National League. The Milwaukee Brewers, right now, they're pretty much the story of this postseason. They win three-two. Colorado had the two runs in the ninth inning, which made you think, "Oh, geez, you know, it could be one of those type of series where you know, Colorado, who in their own right had a very good closing to their season, and even though they lost to the Dodgers in their own NL West tiebreaker, they go to Chicago, and even after." Leading one nothing, Kyle Vreeland pitching a great game, having the Brewer bullpen, excuse me, the Rocky bullpen, give up the lead there on the bias double one one but it took 13 innings for them to win. Just a gutty, gritty road victory after being in Los Angeles the day before, losing the division the there. And now you kind of wonder if they just were going to take off from the standpoint of coming back down 2 nothing in the game one against the Brewers. But they lose in extras. And then they're never to be heard of again because they did not score a run since the ninth inning of game one. They did not score in the top of the 10th in Milwaukee as they lost 3-2. They lose 4-0 in game number two. And then they lose 6-0 yesterday at home to the Brewers where now the Brewers are just riding high, waiting on the winner of the Braves-Dodgers series where the Braves were able to Stave off elimination, winning 6-5. Freddie Freeman with the big hit finally gets his postseason signature moment. Home run there. Down in the first ever playoff game at SunTrust Park. Game number four will be this afternoon. I think it's the 4.30 start. And then you have the Yankees and Red Sox, 7.30 tonight. So you have a triple header today. Would have been nice to get four baseball games in. You always like those four games in a divisional series weekend. But with the Rockies getting ousted by the Brewers, you're not going to have a Game 4, obviously. And now we have the three games here. And we'll see if we'll certainly have a Game 4 in the ALDS with Yankees-Red Sox. We'll see if we'll have a Game 4 in the other series. All right, let's turn our attention to the NFL. And let's talk about the good, bad, and ugly with the New York Giants. And it's weird because a lot of people would think, well, We know there's a lot of bad. We know there's a lot of ugly. And even though there's some good, but what good will come out of yesterday considering that they lost on a 63-yard field goal? Well, we'll start off with the good. And the good is actually pretty positive. The good is the Giants scored more than 30 points or at least 30 points in a game for the first time since the end of the 2015 season. So now we could get that monkey off their backs. So there's the good there. The other good is that the offense showed a pulse. They showed some life. And one of the things that we've seen going back over these last couple of years, but now we can only base it on the Pat Shermer era. We can't talk about Coughlin. We can't talk about Ben McAdoo. We have to talk about in the now. And with the way this offense, as we've talked about for weeks on end of the podcast, as much as we talk about the weapons on this offense, and we understand no Evan Ingram, but they still have plenty with the wide receivers and of course Saquon Barkley. The one thing that I've come to learn about this giant offense and Pat Shermer is that for whatever the reason, they haven't taken a lot of shots down the field. They've taken a lot of safe plays, whether it's the slants, whether it's the checkoffs, a lot of checkoffs from Eli, especially in those games early on in the season where Saquon Barkley, I believe it was that that week two game, he had what, 13 catches out of the backfield? And we understand that the offensive line, we get the Wolves, but the offensive line has held up ever since that debacle in Dallas. So we can't just put it all on the offensive line. But when you look at the way this offense is constructed and the way this offense should be performing, you take yesterday's game and if they can continue to stretch the field, th- take shots downfield where Eli finally took shots downfield, and we understand it's not just on, on Eli, it's on Shermer and the offensive coordinator. They need to Take those deep shots. They need to stretch the field. They have the personnel that could certainly exploit a defense. And the sad part is it's almost as if Shermer and company look at the game plan, whatever their game plan is, and instead of looking at it from, oh, well, we're going to take what they give us. No, they have the personnel that, no, we could take whatever we want, whenever we want, provided that we get the protection. That's the type of offense they should have. For whatever the reason, it's almost they've been more passive than they've been aggressive. So yeah, Eli's numbers may look good at times, or he may have, you know, great completion percentages, you know, as when he had the twenty five or twenty-nine. And when you look at it from a hole, it's like, hey, the numbers look fine or they look great. Or the yardage may not be up there, but he's certainly getting the ball out, and his playmakers are certainly getting chunks and making plays. But at the same time, if you're a Giant fan, I'm sure it's frustrating to have up until yesterday, them finally able to take those shots. Well, I mean, think about this. The Odell Beckham to Saquon Barkley prior to, to me, would look like it was the longest play they had all year. Because you haven't seen Eli make those long passes. You haven't seen him go deep. And we know they have threats all over the field. So if you're a Giant fan, the good is that you finally had the offensive Output that you were looking for, that you were searching for, going back to 2015, but even more so here in this Pat Shermer era. And granted, it's only been five games, so we can't get crazy. But you finally had the output that you've been looking for for quite some time, especially when you drafted a running back as a, as electric as Saquon Barkley is. Now, granted, Barkley's been productive, but he hasn't had the he hasn't had the killer game. You know, he hasn't had that 25 for 150 and two touchdowns. I mean, he's had a bunch of catches. He's made some electrifying plays. But he hasn't been the guy that's just totally taken over a game or just been so dominant that it's left the passing game so open for them to just take multiple shots. And for whatever reason, yesterday they took their shots. That's the good. The bad is when you have situations where Odell Beckham Jr., and I'm not going to put it all on him because it's easy to target him, and I'm going to get to his comments in a little bit. He had the longest punt return earlier in the game, early in the first quarter where it was 16 yards. But then later, his inexperience showed where it led to six points where he didn't stay away from the ball. As he's trying to run away from the ball, it clips the back of his leg. Janoris Jenkins, who tried to make a play on it, all he need to do was fall on it. I understand you want to try to be a hero and get some yards, and that's your first instinct. And I get it also that even if he just would have jumped on the ball there and the Panthers would have it at the three-yard line, you would think eventually they're going to punch it in. You never know, though. But instead of trying to be a hero, he coughs up the ball. The Panthers get in the end zone, touchdown, which is enormous. The other bad part, and this is again falls on special teams, is after the Giants... After that great play from Odell to Saquon Barkley, their kicker, who's been fine. You can't get on to you know, Roses. You can't get on him because he's had a phenomenal year up until this point. But then what does he do Well, he kicks the ball out of bounds? Right after they're getting that touchdown at 17-10. That proved to be crucial because that led to a field goal that made it 20-10. So there's your bad part. And then, what could you say? The ugly... Was here you are, you had a 31-30 lead. And Graham Gano, who's been a solid NFL kicker, for 63 yards, it brought me back to the game last year, Giant fans, not to bring up bad memories, but it brought me back to the game last year against the Eagles in, what was it, week two or week three, where Jake Elliott hit that 61-yard field goal as time expired. Well, to add insult to injury this time around, Graham Gano's from 63 yards, Dick yourself, I don't know. That's, you know, 63. And what does he do? Not only does he make it, but he made it with a few feet to spare. And now your giant season went from one and three, it was on the verge of going two and three, and you feel good about yourselves, to now one and four. And now part of the other ugliness is the Odo Beckham comments Sunday NFL countdown with Lil Wayne sitting next to him. Why? I do not know. I mean, why was he sitting there? But. That's a story for another day. But Odell had made some very candid comments about the offense, about, yeah, we should be better, we should be stretching the field, everything that I mentioned before. And was even questioned about him, you know, is he happy in New York? And he said, uh, had a long pause. Uh, to be honest with you, he even made a comment about loving L.A., but, you know, this is where I'm at. Odell, you need to pipe down with that. You should be ecstatic that you're in New York. I can understand you being frustrated with the offense. And I get that it's supposed to be kept within the locker room. Now, he didn't signal anybody out. The question was posted about Manning. He goes, hey, you know, paraphrasing. What do you think is going on with this offense? You know, Eli. Eh, and he's kind of all shrug, shrug, shrugs his shoulders. Eh, you know, we're trying to perform. We're trying to get the offense in t- intact. And offense clicking. We know we have the parts. And I thought what he said was, was right. And I get that it doesn't look good from the scope of the team. You wonder if Shermer doesn't have just like the coaches that preceded him, if he doesn't have full reign of this guy. Who I don't know if he is a virus in the locker room. I would say he's not. You know, let's not compare him to Terrell Owens when he played, but at the same time. You certainly have to question whether or not if there is any rumblings in that locker room or any side eyes or any feeling that these guys just aren't on the same page. Now, of course, Beckham made some plays yesterday, notwithstanding the touchdown pass he threw. You know, he had the 30-some-odd-yard touchdown there late in the game where, again, you like to see the Giants stretch the field the way they did. And you hope to see more of that in weeks to come. But I didn't think uh, Odo Beckham Jr.'s comments were that out of line. And I get it in this day and age of PC and not that he said anything that was politically incorrect but just from the standpoint of the 53 guys in the locker room. I just think he was I felt he was just being candid. You know it's not as if he said oh I can't play with Eli anymore you know he's not the same guy. I could see it being construed that way. But you know what? I think it goes back to Pat Sherman and their offense. I think they need to stress the field more. I don't think that's a product of Eli. That's a product of the coach and their offensive system. And again, not looking at a defense to take what's being what's being given to us. It's just no. We have a stud running back. We have two stud receivers. I understand the tight end is out. But hey, let's go out there and let's take it. Not just have them give, all right, well, hey, they're giving us this five yard out, let's go here. Oh, wow, they're just giving us the middle of the field where it's only eight yards, let's go there. No. Take shots. Stretch that fuel. This giant offense was made to put up 30 points in a sleep. Not by scotch tape, bubble gum, scratch, claw, fight for every inch, every yard. We understand that's every team in the NFL, but still, this giant offense should be putting out a lot more points than it has been. So but with his comments are concerned, all I could say is this. They just need to continue to perform better on the field and not worry about what he said. Because I could see if it was a thing where he's trying to be divisive or he's trying to put a two by four between certain players or the offense and the defense or whatever it is and that's not the case. At least that's not what I interpreted. Yeah, are there things in those comments that make you say hmm? Yeah, you could read between the lines. I get it. And I understand that. But I don't think he's off base by it. I think the owner should be more on the coach. And if the coach didn't like it, I understand what he said afterwards. And rightfully so, showed a little fire. But at the same time, yeah, it begins and ends with him. So he needs to check himself before he looks at his other team, before he looks at the rest of the team and wonders why his players making comments such as those. So the crazy about the good, bad, and the ugly is that now it could actually go back to the good. So with all that being said about the Giants in this game, and now they're at 1-4, well, guess what? Depending on what the Redskins do tonight, and the Redskins are playing in New Orleans against the Saints where Drew Brees is, what is he, 201 yards from eclipsing Peyton Manning's all-time career passing yards record, so you know it's going to be a festive building. You know they're going to be ready to erupt. Redskins, after a bye, had plenty of time to prepare for the Saints. And now they go into New Orleans with a chance to go up 3-1 and in the division. I don't think it's going to happen. Because the Saints have bounced back from losing their week one game to Tampa. But the Giants, even if they, even if the Redskins lose tonight, they're only a game and a half back. From first place. Because you had Dallas lose in Houston last night. The Eagles lose at home to the Vikings yesterday afternoon. Both of those teams are two and three, and now they're one and four. So it's not as if you're looking at a division where it's unwinnable. Now you have a monumental game Thursday night against the Eagles. This game is their season. Because how I look at it is you already have one loss in the division with the Cowboys. You can't lose this game to the Eagles at home. And Wentz has played well upon his return. Got to give him credit. We all know the dreaded Super Bowl hangover that seems to be going around now that the Eagles are 2-3. and They're going to be playing for their lives too. And this is their first division game, the Eagles. And all they're doing is they're coming up the turnpike to play a Giant team that's going to be, I'm sure, chomping at the bit from this bitter loss yesterday. Everything that's happened regarding the comments, whatever it may be. And this would be the Giants season for sure. I thought their season was done after last week, but the division has been terrible. And even if the Redskins go, they win the night in are three and one, and they would have a game in hand against the Giants because they already had their bye, this division is still within reach. And I can't believe I'm talking about a week five, but considering everybody else is falling back to the pack, the Giants still have a shot to win a division where maybe 9-7 and will put you in the playoffs and win a division. But that's going to be it. Because I do not see a wild card in the Giants' future because the NFC, there are going to be plenty of wild card teams afoot. Whether that's in the NFC South, even though Atlanta may not be ever heard from again, but who knows. But the Giants, certainly right now, despite everything that's going on, good, bad, and ugly, it could still turn to good considering that they're within striking distance of the top spot in the NFC East. As far as the Jets are concerned, I think Isaiah Crowell just rushed for another 50-yard run. What a performance on the ground by the Jets. 323 yards. Darnold, I know the percentage wasn't great. But he did have a couple of great throws in the game, and the Jets bounced back nicely. We know about the Week One win; they had the three loss in the middle. Denver, this was a tricky game. I understand they're coming pretty much, you know, two time zones across. But Denver, after their two and zero start, they've certainly floundered and now two and three. And the Jets, all you hope, as I've said time and time again, you want to continue to build on this. Listen, you're not going to expect Isaiah Crowell to rush for, you know, over 200. Was it 219 yards? on 15 carries he averaged 14 yards a carry we're not going to see that probably for another 50 years and the Jets who had two touchdowns in the same game over 70 yards so they made history there as well as Crowell rushing for the amount of yards he did and as a team 320 something yards if you're a Jet fan all you want to see is just them continue to progress but I get it that in their two wins they've Just exploded, whether it was in game one with the special teams touchdowns and the defensive touchdowns, and in this game, we're just Crowell going crazy and getting the long touchdown run and Robbie Anderson with the long touchdown catch. But all you can do, again, is just hope that the team progresses as time goes on. Let's not start thinking about playoffs. Let's not start thinking about division. Let's not think that, hey, we're a game behind New England and we still haven't played them. Let's just... Chill out with that. And I don't think any Jet fan's thinking that, but I'm sure the super optimistic Jet fan is looking at it from that perspective. And especially when you have a team like the Colts coming in this week where you think that you could get to 3-3, three and three, that's where you got to pump the brakes. Now listen, we know the Colts have not been good. We know the Colts have just Andrew Luck and a bunch of ragamuffins. But when the Jets start looking ahead and they start thinking that, oh, we could beat this team, that's when they get in trouble. And that's where you could hope that Todd Bowles looks at every man in that locker room this week to say, hey, we won a game. That's great. But guess what? We have a team that's coming in here that we should beat. Not to say we could beat badly, but we should beat. So let's not get crazy with the press clippings. Let's not get crazy about the 300 yards rushing because that's not going to happen probably for another two lifetimes. You only hope that Bowles has everybody in the room believing that let's just go out and worry about the Colts. Let's just go out and, they hate to sound like Belichick, do your job and somehow get to 3-3. Three and three. As far as the rest of the NFL is concerned, I'm going to try to go through this pretty quick, even though I have a couple other things to talk about before we wrap up. But we'll start off with the game Thursday night, Indianapolis-New England. The Patriots looked like they were going to be in cruise control. Got up to a big lead. Then Colts came roaring back 24-17. But I, they, me personally, there wasn't any doubt they were going to lose this game. So they ended up piling it on there at the end. 38-24 was the final. New England, after starting 1-2, now have right at the ship where they've won their next two games. They have a huge game coming up. And it'll be interesting to see how they're going to perform on a Sunday night against the Chiefs, where the Chiefs are now 5-0. And I guess I'll fast-forward to them because if I would have told you at the start of yesterday that Patrick Mahomes will throw for 300 yards but have two interceptions, his first two this year, I might add, and not throw a touchdown pass, you'd probably think, oh, geez, they must have lost a close game, maybe 2017. Maybe. Not the case. Kansas City 30, Jacksonville 14. Blake Bortles, although he threw for 430 yards, a lot of that, they were behind the whole game. They were down 20 nothing before you can blink an eye. But Bortles, despite the fact he threw for a zillion yards, but he threw four interceptions, doing one bad one that was taken back to the house. So the real Blake Bortles stood up. And that's the one thing, if you're Jacksonville, you got to worry about. Bortles, who, he's Jekyll and Hyde. You know, when you think you're not going to get the big game out of Bortles, a la the game against New England this year, where he threw for four touchdowns and 370 yards, that's when you looking at him and you're like, oh my goodness, wow, Bortles, I can't believe this. And then when you think Bortles is going to perform well, that's where the clock strikes twelve of them. So Kansas City five and zero. Remember they were five and zero last year at this spot, and they ended up ten and six, and they got ousted in the first round. I understand it's last year. I understand different quarterback. I get all that. But the Chiefs, you could sing all their praises right now, and that's fine. But I need to see Mahomes in a big spot, and he yeah he did not perform well, but he performed enough to where the team won convincingly. So despite the fact they didn't put up gaudy numbers as far as touchdowns are concerned, but you still got to give him credit and the defense I don't believe in. And of course we all know about Andy Reid in a huge spot. So those are just things to consider if you're thinking that KC just write their ticket to Atlanta for the Super Bowl in February. Uh, Let me trim some fat with some games here. Arizona gets their first win of the year. Arizona first play of the game, Josh Rosen to Christian Kirk. So you got two rookies there connecting. Where seventy-five yard touchdown, and we all know about the uh, San Francisco not having their quarterback. C.J. Beathard is their quarterback for the rest of the year. Five turnovers. You're not going to overcome that even against a team like the Arizona Cardinals, who won their first game of the year out in San Francisco. Uh, that score was twenty-eight to eighteen. Uh, what about Buffalo? Buffalo on a last-second field goal. Beats Tennessee. Tennessee, for whatever the reason, it's weird. And we understand, you know, Mariota's been banged up and their offense. We know they're a very good defensive team and have a very good offensive line. But for whatever reason, they have these moments where they don't score. Remember a few weeks ago, they beat Jacksonville 9-6 to in Jacksonville where they didn't score a touchdown. And here it is, same pretty much, the same script. So you wonder if they could ever get their offense on track that they could be a threat in the AFC. But Buffalo wins their second game of the year as Tennessee goes down. What about the Bengals? They were down 17 nothing midway through the third quarter, and then they scored 27 unanswered to win 27-17 against the Dolphins. Two defensive touchdowns, fumble return, and a pick six. So the Bengals have gotten off to just a solid start, 4-1 and with a huge game this week for them as the Steelers come to town. I'll get to the Steelers later on. The Browns and Ravens, Ravens, uh, they go into overtime where the Browns win on a last second field goal to think the Browns and this is crazy just to even think about this do you know that the Browns they could either be 5 and 0 just listen to this for a second wrap your head around this the way the Browns have played this year they could have either been 5 and 0 or they could have been 1 1 and 3 cuz remember the game against the Saints that went down to the wire, pretty much in overtime. I think it was like two minutes to go in overtime before the Saints kicked that field goal. Because remember, they... Uh, I think they just they were the only team to have the ball in the overtime and then they drove down the field. It took them seven minutes and they kicked the field goal. So imagine if they missed that. They would have tied then. And yesterday, with six seconds on the clock, you had the kid who came in who kicked a field goal. Can't think of his name on the top of my head. They went 12-9. First time they won on a Sunday in three years. And the first time in forever... That they beaten the Browns, or beaten the Ravens, the former Browns. So now the Browns are 2 2 and 1. And obviously have been playing very well, especially on defense. And to think could be 5-0 or 1-1-3, which that's the Browns. In a you know, in a nutshell. And that's the way their organization has been, but they're certainly looking up. And the Ravens now three and two. Uh what can you say about the Packers? Packers down uh twenty-four-nothing. You thought maybe some more late-game heroics from Aaron Rodgers. That was not the case. Although they did make it close and they lose 31-23, to 23, but the killer was Mason Crosby. Not only did he miss four field goals, he also missed an extra point. So imagine if he even made three of those field goals, they would have won the game. So Crosby was the GOAT here, despite the fact that they were down three scores. They chipped away and they came back, but certainly didn't have enough as they lose 31-23. to 23. And then uh, Minnesota, later in the day, they get a big win where they pretty much had the game in cruise control, although they hung on the win 23-21 to in Philly. Like I said, Wentz had a very good game, but certainly was too much for them to come back from. Like I said, they were down 20-3 to in the third quarter of this game before losing outright, and we talked about the Super Bowl hangover and them facing the Giants at MetLife uh, this Thursday. You had the Chargers win 20 20- 8-10 against the Raiders, 339 yards and two touchdowns for Phillip Rivers. The Rams and Seahawks went back and forth there, 33-31. It was pretty much nip and tuck the whole game. A lot of lead changes, a lot of back and forth. They got the field goal there late, Cairo Santos, or midway through the third quarter, but they're able to stave off another comeback there from the... Seahawks. Well, you kind of knew that there was whoever's going to have the last ball is going to win the game, but that wasn't the case. So the Rams continue their excellence early on the season. They have not scored. It's crazy to think. This is a team that has not scored under thirty all year. That's right, under thirty, not over, under thirty all year. So they have not been put in check, and uh, certainly they move on next week. Let's see what the Rams play next week, and we'll get to go through the schedule a bit. Oh, they go to Denver. That should be another game, even in the high altitude. They should. Uh, probably tack on another 30 against that team uh what else do we have here uh dallas and houston like i mentioned that was a game that almost could have been a tie they got the field goal there late in the overtime 150 left to go as the texans in the battle of uh texas texans now two and three dallas two and three uh there on your sunday night game uh what else have i not talked about here Jacksonville, Denver. We pretty much went through the docket here. Talked about Washington and New Orleans tonight. Chicago and Tampa were your buys. As far as the Steelers are concerned, uh, this is a game that they actually had to have. Now, we all know Atlanta. They've really it almost seems that ever since the Super Bowl, and granted, I understand they made the playoffs last year. They won a game and they should have won the game against the Eagles there in the division round, but for whatever the reason, they have certainly not gotten on track considering the Offensive firepower that they have. We understand the defense is nicked up. No Keon O'Neal, Deion Jones, guys of that ilk. But the Steelers just after you know thirteen nothing, and then the Falcons came back thirteen to ten. But pretty much then they blew the game open there in the second half. Ben to Antonio Brown a couple of touchdowns. James Conner had a big game on the ground, one hundred and ten yards, twenty carries. Steelers with a rocking chair victory about time. You thought they were going to have that rocking chair victory in Tampa, but they, of course they made it close with their defense. Defense actually played pretty well, had a bunch of sacks. T.J. Watt has performed well. I need to see a little bit more consistency with him. It seems like he gets his sacks in bunches, whether it was week one against Cleveland or even yesterday. Yesterday I believe he had a sack and a half. Uh, initially was credited for two sacks, but I believe he ended up with a sack and a half. And the Steelers now have a a game where – If they're going to make any noise in the division or especially in this conference, they must win in Cincinnati this week. And that's going to be – that game is more – it's more bigger for the Bengals because they cannot beat the Steelers in a big spot, as we've seen over the years. So it's going to be bigger for them. But the Steelers could certainly get themselves back in the division with a win then. Because as I said last week, and I'll say it again, the Steelers aren't going to make the playoffs as a wild card, number one. Number two, if they have any chance of winning a division, they need to win this game this week. Because in order for them to win a division, they're going to have to sweep the Bengals, win the other game against the Ravens, which will be in a month, and then they have to have the Bengals beat the Ravens in their next matchup, whenever that is. So that's a lot to ask for, just to win a division. I mean, think about that. So they'd have to... Sweep the Bengals, hopefully the Bengals sweep the Ravens, and then they have to beat the Ravens in their other matchup in order for them to win the division. Now, it helped that the Ravens lost yesterday to the Browns. And mind you, the Browns and the Steelers have the same record after five games. So that division is kind of getting, I mean, think about that. That division is separated by game and a half, game and a loss column when you think about it, as the Bengals 4-1, and Ravens 3-1, and and both Steelers and Browns 2-2-1. So that's your NFL. And then uh, we look at the games this week. Pittsburgh-Cincinnati is going to be a good game. If you want to say Chargers and Browns, I mean, right now, you look at that; that could be a game where, you know, you can have your eyes glued on. Seattle and Oakland is the first game in London this year. If you're crazy about that. Bears and Dolphins, not going to be reminiscent of the 85 game that Monday night when they were going for perfection and Marino just carved that defense To smithereens. Uh, You don't have a lot of sexy games this week, you know. Carolina, Washington, eh? Jacksonville, Dallas, eh? Kansas City, New England. I mean, that's your matchup of the week. San Francisco, Green Bay's your Monday night game, so not really a sexy week six schedule. The two games that stick out are the Sunday night game, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and on a lesser scale, Chargers and Browns. Eh, And then Carolina-Washington. If Washington wins tonight, I guess there'll be more of a game. But, eh, you know, that remains to be seen. So that's your uh, week five in the NFL as we uh, close out the week tonight with the game down in New Orleans, as I mentioned earlier, between the Saints and Redskins. All right, now to quickly turn our attention to college football. Uh, A couple of games this weekend where, of note, the Florida Gators win against the LSU Tigers. Big there for the SEC. As they were ranked 19th going into this game, LSU fifth, right down the cusp of the top four. Uh, lose a tough one, uh, the Tigers, uh, 27-19. Uh, actually, they were down uh, 19-14 in this game, the uh, Gators were. And then later on, they uh, got a pick six with a buck 45 to go to uh, pretty much ice this game as the Gators with a big win. And listen, I did expect the Gators to do much or even try to get to the uh, top four there where it's all said and done. But LSU, certainly, their chances were hurt big time by this game. I believe they dropped down to 13 uh, in the ranks of the top 25. So tough loss for them. And then for the Miami Hurricane fan, you finally got a victory at home against the Florida State Seminoles and a big one at that. Down 20, uh, 27-7. They win 28-27, 21 unanswered. Uh, there in the last quarter and a half to secure that first win since they played in the Orange Bowl. That's how long it's been, 14 years. So I know the fans of the U certainly rejoicing after that. We all know the rivalry that dates between those two teams going back, especially from the days of the 80s and into the 90s, the wide left and the wide right, those games down in uh, the Orange Bowl and, of course, at Seminole Stadium. So uh, for the fans of the U, I'm sure they'll go up in the ranks a little bit this week as they were 15th. And uh, those are the two big games of note that I took from this week. And when you look at this coming weekend, you know, Georgia-LSU. We all know Georgia's one of the uh, top four teams there to go along with Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. You got Washington and Oregon. uh, Another big uh, top 25 matchup as well as Wisconsin and Michigan, which will round out your top 25 matchups or matchups to look at here this coming weekend, which would be week number seven in college football. We all know that once you get later into the month and into the early part of November where we get into the teeth of the conference schedule, then you have all the rivals there when you lead into like the Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, College football is going to be up and down. And obviously, if anything's going to shake up the FBS, especially when it starts to come out there later in the month. Uh, if it's gonna be those top four teams, which in all likelihood it could be, now we understand Georgia and Alabama, you know, they're gonna play in a all intents and purposes, they're gonna play in a SEC championship. But that's again for down the road. That won't be until early December. So we'll uh keep our eye on it. Obviously not gonna get too wrapped up or too crazy about it. I just report a couple of these games. I haven't watched any of these college games, so but all I'm gonna look at is when you see the top 25 and you see upsets and you see things that could ab- absolutely come into play as far as the national title hopes, of course, I'm going to report that. All right, people are going to say, well, Jay Reels, why are you bringing up FSU and Miami? Well, again, that's a big rival going back for decades and with a huge comeback at home. Obviously, that's something that uh, something to report there. But besides that, uh, that's all you pretty much have in college football. And a couple other things before we wrap up. One, well, three things. One, as far as the NHL is concerned, Devils had that game in Sweden. They played the Edmonton Oilers, so they win their first game of the year before they come stateside. I believe they have their home opener tonight, if I'm not mistaken. I think, uh, I want to say the home opener tonight. But anyway, Devils will now finally start their schedule, their schedule here in North America, where the Rangers are gone off to a slow start 0-3. You know, tough losses there to start their year. At home against Nashville. Then they lose to Buffalo 3-1. to one, And then had a shootout there at uh, Carolina. Losing 8-5. And then the Islanders have split their first two games. Winning in Carolina. In overtime before losing to Nashville. There on Saturday night. But the thing I want to bring up about the NHL. And I didn't talk about this earlier. Two of the incidents happened in the preseason. And then one happened opening night. Which of course was a couple days after the podcast. Was the suspensions that were handed out. In the preseason, Max Domi, when he hit the uh, kid from the Florida, uh, Aaron Ekblad, and he only got suspended the rest of the preseason, which a lot of people thought, oh, that's crazy. He sucker punched this kid. And To me, it wasn't a sucker punch. If you watched it, yeah, Max Domi had his glove right at his collar on the jersey, and he jerked it a couple times before he dropped the glove and then he pounded him. So to me, a sucker punch— is when you hit him from behind or you're going to skate up from behind, turn around, just whack him. Where from all intents and purposes, either the player is going to turtle or he's not going to know what to do. He's just going to pretty much hang on for dear life. That, to me, is the definition of a sucker punch. So the reason why I bring that up is because then on the last preseason game where the Capitals' Tom Wilson had that blindside check on Oscar Sundquist where he got a 20-game suspension and all the outrage was... And we get that this day and age, just like in the NFL, rules have changed. Player safety, we get that. But to get a 20-game suspension for that was just, to me, was out of line. You want to give him 10 games for it? All right. 10 games may be a bit too strong, but guess what? If you jump off the bench, first man on the ice, so let's say there's a fight on the ice or the brawl, first guy off the bench gets 10 games automatic. So now you mean to tell me he's going to get 20 games for a hit that he didn't leave his feet, he didn't, physically, I mean, obviously he was hurt, he was laid out on the ice, but it's not as if it was a, you know, Todd Bertuzzi stick incident or many years ago. You know, it's not as if the Claude Lemieux-Chris Draper where he checked him into the boards, where that could have been warranted a 20-game suspension, you know, where somebody could have been seriously hurt. And granted, I get it. You know, this isn't, you know, when Scott Stevens hits Eric Lindros in a Game 7 in an Eastern Conference final back in 2000, or even Paul Correa in the Stanley Cup final in 2003, yeah, I get it. They're trying to protect the players here, before twenty game suspension. I mean, give me a break. I mean, we all know the league has gotten ice cream soft on a hot summer day many decades ago, and let me get, let me get started on that. But again, you have these fans that are under thirty that have no clue about the sport, at least where it once was. That when something like Tom Wilson happens, everybody's in in an uproar. And then let's go back to last Wednesday night, as the Bruins are getting pummeled against the Capitals on the night that they raised the banner to the Rafters, their first ever Stanley Cup championship, where Lars Eller was joying at the bench for some reason, up 6-0, and then they score a goal, and he does this fist pump, you know, whatever, okay, fine, but the joying at the bench or whatever taunting that he was doing, for Brad Marchand to do what he did, drop the gloves and just pummeled him to the ice, hey, listen, he deserved it. And people may look at me, Jay Reels. Oh my goodness, how could you say that? That's terrible. Look at the Eller took those two bad, you know, bad punches. He was bleeding off the side of his head. Well, there's a code in hockey that if you're gonna go taunt the bench, taunt the player, or show up the other team, and guess what? Be ready for some payback. That's the NHL that not only I grew up watching, but I loved watching. And I understand in the grand scheme of things. Right, people are going to say, oh, it's violent, it's this, it's that. It's a sport. And if violence is part of this sport, including fighting, then guess what? As I said, there is a code. And that code, if you're not going to obey by it, and you're going to make certain gestures, or yap at another team's players, or go over to the bench and yap at them, then guess what? There's going to be hell to pay. And he got what he deserved. Now, I don't like it that Brad Marshawn, there's a guy, and I understand everybody's going to wear these visors to cover their eyes. They don't want to get hit with sticks and things of that nature. I get that. I don't like to see it. I'd rather have Marshawn not have the shield because it almost makes him look like, hey, I have this thing in front of my face so I could go ahead and pull him. Now, Eller, I believe he also has a shield as well because his helmet went flying off during the melee. But my point is, is that the league has gotten just so soft and a lot of the outrage I've seen on social media, and I get it. People are, oh, J. Reels, why are you going to pay attention to this? I pay attention to it because these people don't know that this game, once upon a time, was built on intimidation, was built on toughness, was built on being physical, and more importantly, on top of all that, was built on sending messages. And I get that people are going to say, oh, what's the point? He sent the message. Well, guess what? You think Ella's is going to chirp at the Bruin bench next time they see one another? Now, I understand he was going to go after Brad Marchand, and we'll see how that's going to play out, and that's what I like. I want to see hatred against these teams. I want to see, and hate I understand is a strong word, but for the sake of sports and competition, like if the Yankees hated the Red Sox, that's fine, and vice versa. Part of the reason why this sport has fallen so far off the map for me, because when the 80s and I followed the sport as much as I followed Football, basketball, I mean, hockey was it. I looked forward to all those matchups with the tough guys. When it was Detroit and Philadelphia, we had Bob Probert, Joey Koser, Chris King, going against the Dave Browns, Daryl Stanleys, Dave Richters. I mean, those are games that, oh, I salivated over. And wanted to see the tough guys match up against one another. Because that was part of the game, was part of the sport. Now, please, it's Disney on ice. And I get it. It's about scoring goals. And I you don't have to explain to me. I get that. But when you see these people just saying, oh, my God, Tom Wilson, he should have deserved more. Oh, I can't believe what Brad Marchand did. That's, that's despicable. It's a shame. Give me a break. Stop it. You know, Marshawn went after him for a reason, and that's because he taunted the bench. And if you're going to do that, then guess what? There's going to be hell to pay. And boy, did he ever get paid. I bet you LR's not going to do that again. And Eller's a big kid. You know, Eller isn't some, you know, five foot 5'8 pipsqueak. Now, he really showed his toughness there. I mean, yeah, did he hang in on the fight? Barely. You know, it's not as if he went into the turtle position, but he got pummeled. And no offense to the kid, I don't know, I'm sure he's a great kid, but, hey, you're going to start doing that. <sighs> Marshawn did what he was supposed to do. And good, let the next Caps-Bruins game be 300 penalty minutes, and game misconducts left and right, and a bunch of fights. But then again, this isn't 30 years ago where the Capitals were going to scratch one player and bring up two tough guys for this game to get some sort of payback or some sort of revenge, which I loved. And to me, that was the hockey of what I once knew and loved. And it's sad because I've said this time and time again, and I'll say it. Hockey was once a man's game. And now it's literally Disney on ice, as I said earlier. So that's your NHL. My last two things, NBA season kicks off next week. And I hope to have a guest on. As a matter of fact, I do have somebody lined up. Another radio personality that's on satellite. So um, I'm hoping that we get this interview taking place this week. Check the website, jreels.com, or any of my social media outlets to... Be informed and updated, but uh, that should be a very interesting spot as we talk about the NBA uh, for next week's podcast. And to think, the season starts a week from tomorrow. Unbelievable. I'm not even ready for NBA, and here I am in the middle of a football season and wrapped up in the baseball. Hockey's already started, and now, I mean, that's why October is a great month of sports because you got all this, and then on top of that, the college football, if you follow it religiously. So, you all have all that to shake your stick at. And then lastly, now people know me. I'm a traditionalist. And we talked about weeks ago with the canelo uh, Triple G fight that I didn't watch it, it was in my backyard. Well, I certainly did not watch the Conor McGregor fight the other night against Khabib. I can't even pronounce his last name. And if that was in my living room, I would have gone to the bedroom and not watched his fight. And we all know that what happened afterwards, the brawl. And I'm going to give the cut the MAA fan a little slack on this because unlike boxing, which has had all these melees outside, whether it was the Andrew Gallardo-Riddick Bow. Uh, and listen, there's a zillion of them I could talk about. This is the first time that, at least that I've known, and not that I follow MMA f- by any stretch, where you had a Brook happen outside of the octagon, which was more the story than what happened inside the octagon. Now we know Conor McGregor lost. I, I think his shine is certainly, hasn't been the same it once was. When it comes to Conor McGregor, I understand he's going to, attract a lot of pay-per-view visits and a lot of people are going to be into his fights or whatever it may be. I'm not one. Sorry, that's just not me. I'm not into MMA, even if I was at gunpoint. But I bring this up only because Dana White said, oh, this hurts the sport when you have the fisticuffs and everything that happened after the match But because you don't hear about it that often, and because this is the first one, at least, that I know of, then this one, although it's unacceptable, but you could give him slack for this first time. Now, if this continues to happen time after time after time, then it's just going to be a mockery the way boxing was, and boxing is. So if you're looking at it from a standpoint as an MMA fan, like, oh, geez, you know this is what people aren't going to go and watch. The MMA fans, they already have their contingent. They have the people that they cater to, which is pretty much, if I had to guess, And I don't know because I don't follow the sport, but a lot of the people who like MMA are the younger demographic. I would think the 18 to 34-year-old. Because the 18 to 34-year-old, they couldn't tell you Hagler Hearns or Leonard Duran or Ali Spinks or Ali Frazier, go back even further, or Tyson Holyfield. If those fights fell on their laptop and were being broadcast, they'd be like, who's Tyson Holyfield? What is does Riddick Bowl hold? They wouldn't even know these fights. Just like I said earlier with the Yankee fan, they couldn't tell you the pine Tar game from 83. So they have that demographic. For, for guys who are in my age range or even o- older or a little bit younger, eh, I'm sure there's a lot of them that do watch MMA and are wrapped up in it. They like that just medieval primal beating. I, to me, I I could kill us. I, I, not for me. That's it. I don't want to knock the sport. I don't want to kill it. I want to say, oh, this is a disgrace. Nah, you know, it's just it's not for me. But what happened there, does it hurt the sport? A little bit. But again, I think they have their fan base that they'll watch UFC 10,000 whenever it gets up to that because there's no such thing as boxing in my book, although it's still out there. So MMA for the younger group is the next best thing, and it's only going to continue to grow, and it's only going to continue to get more fans, especially as – You know, a lot of these teenagers look forward to that Saturday night UFC match, whomever may be going up against one another. So there's my two cents on the MMA. With that said, people, another podcast in the books. I believe this is episode 32. So for those who've been there since day one, thank you very much. I'm eternally grateful and thankful for you to tune in and be a part of the J Reels podcast and getting the word out for everybody to listen to what it is I have to say, and for those who is your first time here, a third time, fourth time, whatever it may be, again I do thank you. Welcome you aboard. Uh, I'll be here each and every Monday talking to you everything about what's going on, in the latest, and greatest world of sports, trying to deliver everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, etc., etc., etc. For those who want to check me out on my social media accounts, JReels one just a number at Twitter, JReels on Instagram as well as the J Reels Podcast on Facebook. You can send me an email at the podcast at gmail.com or, of course, hit me up on any of the DMs on the aforementioned social media sites. Of course, I have the website, jreels.com, for any info. I'm going to put up the info of the next guest that has been confirmed. We're supposed to record it Wednesday night, but like I said, I've rolled the dice and gotten snake eyes with a lot of the – and not to say that that's going to happen with this guest because this is a guy that I've known for quite some time and look forward to talking to him about what's going on in the NBA and kind of handicap the NBA season, not only just locally, but of course throughout the whole league. With that being said, one last thing, or oh, what's really important, is to make sure you subscribe, post a rating, leave a review. All you have to do is just go to your podcast app on your phone. Very simple. Hit podcast, type in the j Rules podcast. You'll see it pop up. Just hit subscribe, listen to some of the past shows that I've had, Please post a rating, leave a review for those out there in the other podcast universe that follows under the sports who will just gain that much more popularity and not only increase the visibility of the program, but hopefully generate more guests for people to say, hey, this Jay Reels, you know, this coming pretty popular. Or, hey, I like what he has to say. Or, hey, he's a little crazy at times or whatever it is, please just do that because what that will do is, like I mentioned earlier, will just increase the popularity of the program and hopefully Get a lot more views, a lot more clicks, a lot more downloads because at the end of the day, this is what I love to do. Rapping, spewing, whatever it is about SPRTS here each and every week on the J Reels Podcast. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.